Well, college basketball fans, the season is here. We are living in it right now. I'm Timmy Hall. That is evil, bald Colin. Colin, it's good to see you, man. Tim, it's good to see you on the official start of the college basketball season. I say start because the first week was kind of dreadful if you're not completely freaks like us that just watch anything and everything that we can find. But the good games are starting to come. It's good to see the big matchups finally showing up. Well, you actually told me, and I think it's true, it's that Champions Classic where you've got Duke, Kentucky, Kansas, and Michigan State. They've been the ones that have been involved in this rotation for several years now. And it's going to be in Indianapolis this year. It's usually at Madison Square Garden. They might move that thing around these days, just like they do with the CBS Sports Classic that Ohio State is involved in, which also has Kentucky and UNC and UCLA. That's right. They're very cool, right? Neutral site games, big, gigantic powerhouse programs. That usually feels that Champions Classic is when, like, most eyeballs realize, oh, shoot. It's basketball season. It's college basketball season. Let's watch some of this. Well, if you remember, that's where we get the the out of left field breakdowns of the college football playoff rankings by like Jay Billis and their oh, basketball staff. Yeah, yes, because it's a, a Tuesday. Yeah, the rankings are updated. Of course, we do get that. Yeah, so that, college basketball guys. Oh, oh, what's uh, you know what? How how good is Clemson? Clemson's not in the top four this year. Oh, Bama's not in the top four. You'll get a lot of comments like that from the basketball dudes trying to you know, sort of uh, take pot shots or pretend like they know what's going on when they really don't. Yeah, no, besides that point, it's uh, it's really fun. And that's kind of the first time where you start to see the games on the big networks. Like I know the opening night, you didn't have a whole lot of basketball on TV because you had like Monday night football and whatnot. So you had to find like the VTM pluses of the world or like Fox uh, FS1 was doing like a split broadcast of like two different games in the Big East and like rotating in and out of each one. Like it was so all over the place, but it feels like, it's kind of a week to warm you up, to get you into it, to kind of remind you, okay, these sports are kind of overlapping right now with college football and college basketball that you can actually watch both, and it's going to start to get heated up here real soon. All right, so settle in. We've got episode 71. Uh, nope, that's wrong. You know, I did that before the podcast, and I, I already messed it up. This is the 72nd episode of Mad About Hoops, everybody. And I'm going to, at one point in this podcast, I got to ask Evil Bald Colin his take on the playing of a particular song in our sport and where its place is. We got a couple of big time new coaches at big programs taken over this year. And I want to talk about a specific player who is into his fourth year this season as well. And could he possibly come back for a fifth season? I think it remains to be determined at this point in time. This is... Mad about hoops. Five to go. Lewis has been awesome. Let's it go. Inbounds Turner, left side of the backcourt. Turner crossed the timeline, throws it from high on the right. He hit it just inside of half court. Lane's on the other wing. Oh! Oh! Did it, Jerome? <laughs> College basketball. This is March Madness. Yes, it is. It's it's the journey. We have begun the road to the final four. If we're playing games, evil, I don't care 
what month it is. I don't care that it's November. We've only got a game or two under our belts. The road to the final four has begun. Yes, man. This is the best time of year. Well, I guess I say that the entire season because the entire season is the best time of year. But I love the November and December games because it's always funny to watch these results and think, wow, you know, this is really, this is going to be what the season looks like. This is going to be a team that's going to dictate the season. And then you go and look towards the end of the season and it's like, oh, wow, that was like a bad loss for this team. How did this even turn out this way? But it's just the evolution of the game from December or November, December, all the way through March is just, it's so fun. But I mean, just because these games now might not seem as big later on, it doesn't mean we can't enjoy them just as much. I, I want to start off by asking you and, and getting your take and discussing this one player in particular because he's been such a, a key guy in our sport for several years now. Two straight years, this guy has contended for the National Player of the Year awards, and he comes back for his fourth year, and he actually, because of the pandemic season, has a super a super senior season available to him. And I really do view drew Timmy great name, by the way, I do view him as a guy that could shock the world and possibly exercise that fifth year. And boy, what a legacy he's going to have if he chooses to do that. Because to me, drew Timmy for Gonzaga, he's that six foot 10, 235 pound headband wearing son of a gun that can bang down low and get his shot anywhere he wants in the realm of college basketball. But you just don't see a whole lot there that's going to translate to the NBA game because he lacks that versatility, you know? He can be a little versatile in college basketball, but when you put all the best basketball players in the world out there and you space the floor, you, you're going to have a little bit of, you know, Luca Garza situation going on. No, 100%. And when you're not athletic enough to defend on the perimeter and you're not good enough of a shooter to play on the perimeter, your upside in the league is, you know, it's capped. I mean, where's Kofi Coburn right now? I'm sure he's playing in one of the overseas league because he just doesn't have that part of his game. And that's unfortunate. That's the direction of how big men is being played in the NBA and why these guys that are in the old school style can't make it anymore. Uh, I think you're making all the good points of why it might make more sense for him to come back because he said going in between, I would say like the spring where he had to make the decision whether to come back or not. He said, yeah, I would make more money coming back through NIL versus going overseas and playing right now. And if that's the case again next year, I think it's very likely he does use the fifth year. And, you know, I don't want to pretend like, you know, what you just said about the next level doesn't affect our game because, you know, kids will look at this. They will factor that into what type of player that they want to become. Now, you also could have a situation where, you know, your body type is going to be your body type, right? And as hard as you work, as hard as you try to speed is, I don't know. I, I don't. I haven't met too many people that just decided they could work with a speed coach and just become that much faster. You know, it's inherent. It's just kind of in your bones. What are you? Are you a big guy that needs to learn how to use your body to get your shot wherever you can inside of that, you know, 17 foot arc. That to me is drew Timmy and he's maximized what he can be at this level. You know, so I'm not going to, not going to crush a man, while we're talking about him being one of the best basketball players in this sport, college basketball and in the NBA, it almost does feel like two separate sports. Oh, absolutely. Look at the top of the, the college basketball scene right now and talk, think about all the guys that are up there. Oscar Shibway, Timmy, we just mentioned, Armando Baycott, 
uh, Trace Jackson Davis. These are guys that kind of are capped in terms of their offensive skill outside of 15 to 17 feet. Yeah. And defensively, they can't, they're not really known to be guys that can go out and face a stretch four or five that's playing on the perimeter and play defense out there. It's completely different from the NBA game, but those are the top guys in college basketball this season. That's what's so ironic about it. You know, so when I look at Drew Timmy's stats, you know, he didn't really shoot himself out of a cannon in his freshman season. He was a a good player. He didn't start for Gonzaga. He gave 20 or 21 minutes a game and was about a 10 and 6 guy. Really good, right? And I don't know if anybody even noticed or saw that he was going to explode going in from his freshman to sophomore season where he he basically doubled the player that he was in only 8 more minutes per game and becoming a starter. And I mean, just book it for this year. Do you think he's got a shot to average 23 to 25 points per game? They've, I mean, at the time that we're doing this, they're one game into the season. So they've got the whole, the whole year is in front of them, but this is a guy that's going to be leaving college basketball, you know, whether he comes back for that fifth year that we discussed or not, and he's going to have just unbelievable numbers and he's just going to be the quintessential Gonzaga man. And Gonzaga has been doing this now for a long, long time. This isn't this isn't the uh, Viola year where they just they just caught fire. We've been living with Gonzaga basketball now for twenty plus years as a big basketball brand, and that almost makes you pinch yourself as a college basketball guy that they are a household name. They got the Nike uniforms. They're right at the top of the sport every single year now. Yeah, uh, talking about his freshman year, I mean, you're only playing behind Killing Tilly, and, uh, who went on to play in the NBA, and then uh, Philip Petrusev, who went and played overseas. Petrusev uh, was good. Yeah. I think he went back to Serbia to play, but he was a really good player. Yeah, he was. I- I'm pretty sure Timmy was a pretty good recruit, too. I think he was top 100, and, I mean, it's not totally surprising that we see what he's turned into, but... Uh, yeah, I think, I mean, this is a guy that's going to be in the mix in the top three, I think locked in top three, uh, for chasing the wooden award. And I, I think he's going to be up there with like Armando Baycott, uh, she boy and throw in Trace Jackson Davis too. But it's, it's, I think he's got the ability to grow a little bit in his game, but I think he's kind of capped out on what he can improve on other than what he's really good at now, which is okay. I think it's not a knock to say he's just a really good college basketball player and no, he's, he's, no. he's going to be. That's what he's going to be known for. It's He's he's just got a panache about him. He's got that YMCA game. Anybody would want him on their team. I mean, that is a guy. We talk about those those March Madness drafts that we do. Oh, he's one of the first guys off the board, obviously. Anytime you try to pick another Gonzaga player, it just goes bad for you. It just winds up being Drew Timmy happened to me. averaging 23 to 26 points per game in the NCAA tournament. The guy, he should be Timmy Buckets, really. That should be his name. He just gets buckets. I'm. It's astonishing that this guy hasn't been a first-team All-American. You know, he's been right on the fringe. Two-time consensus second-team All-American each of the past two seasons. He won the Carl Malone, so he did win, which that's the Power Forward Award. I don't know how long we've been doing that, where we renamed for the awards ceremony at the end of the year where we got the koozie, you know, the Carl Malone and all throughout the, the Havlicek, you got one, a, a famous basketball name for each position on the basketball court. And then you get the national award. That's right. kind of cool the way they've done that. So he's won the Carl Malone. He's the West coast conference player of the year this last year. Obviously he's, you know, first team in their, in their conference the last two years, but going for something a little bit bigger and God, to think if if he does this for two more years, and you mentioned, yeah, the if you're going to be a fringe second round pick in the NBA, 
and you're going to be the man. It's it's what you decide, right? It's it, it's different different strokes for different folks. What yeah, they everyone's do. got different. Stay in school, get the NIL money, and and, and right. keep rocking it with stats and uh, the legacy there. They could. Dude could have a statue built outside the kennel. Well, that's just, it's everybody's flavor, like you said. I mean, some guys go through four years and they say, you know what, I've tapped out. I've, I'm, you know, I'm tired of playing college basketball. Let's see what I can do in the pros and see what happens at the next step. And some guys see the potential of a better turnout staying that extra year or maxing out their uh, eligibility versus going and playing pro. I, I, to be honest with you, I don't really know what he's going to do, but I think he's going to put together a year where he's going to average about. I don't know, 22, and he didn't have a whole lot of rebounds in the first game, but he's probably going to be close to a double-double guy each game if he wants to be. Yeah, and you know, I can't really say that he's a Tyler Hansbrough kind of guy because Tyler came in year one, true freshman, and he just he blew the lid off of college basketball. Also with his attitude and the way he played the game, and it was just, I don't even know if, if at the time Tyler Hansbrough felt and looked like a quintessential North Carolina basketball player. I think that's probably why he became so big is because it was almost converse to, you know, the Rashid Wallace's, the Antoine Jamison's, Michael Jordan, you know, all those, all those dudes, the Vince Carters. That wasn't Tyler hands, bro. He was this country dude from Poplar Bluff, Missouri. that just showed up and was just kicking ass and taking names. From day one, he was a 19 and eight guy as a freshman and then just kept it up. And then he was a 20 a game, 20 and 10 guy for a four year career, dust his hands, go to the Pacers and then suck in the NBA. I mean, his, his quintessential moment in college basketball that we see the image of the film of every single time they talk about the big rivalries in the sport is that game against Duke where oh, he got the bloody nose. Oh, him punching Gerald Henderson in the face. Yes. You mean that one? I'll never forget. Uh, Billy Packer. What was your? Did you like Billy Packer or not? The the last CBS analyst, the the dude who did it for thirty or forty years. I mean, he's he's been okay. He's di- well, yeah. Before he before he retired, that had to be one of the last you know two or three years he was calling games before it switched over to who we got now, Raff and Grant Hill and Clark Kellogg was doing it right. before them. He honestly thought that that was a just a good hard basketball play from Gerald Henderson. Why did I say Hansbro punched Gerald Henderson in the face? Henderson punched Hansbro oh, I thought in were, the face. I honestly thought that, you were I had making, that backwards. I thought you were making yeah. a joke no, because that, I'm like, okay, I'll play compl- along. I had that completely backwards. Yeah, but Billy Packer's honest take, it was Jim Nance and him on the call, and he thought, oh, it's just a good, hard basketball play. Like, what, what are you talking about? There were 30 seconds or so left to go in that ball game, and he comes in and just flies down with an open fist punch right to, right to his face, and... I, that was one of the craziest things that I've ever seen, but it was North Carolina and Duke basketball. But yes, anyway, Drew Timmy Gonzaga watching out for that year, obviously. And if it's even going to be his last year in college basketball, the national championship, of course, that's the one carrot there for anybody that's going to stick around with Gonzaga hoops. That's been there for a couple of years already. Now, I don't know what your take on Gonzaga is this year, but I'm a little bit more down on them than most years. I think their guard position is just kind of concerning right now. Uh, I, I know they brought in the transfer from uh, Murray state Malik or no Chattanooga is Malachi Smith. He played that's quite a, big, a few minutes. Tr- big transfer. I think he had right about there. 15 points in the opener, but outside of that, like with Nolan Hickman, Julian Strother's back, Rasir Bolton, uh, Hunter Silas, like they've got some decent guards, but they don't have that Andrew Nemhard from last year. They don't have some of these point guards or 
guys that you can trust with the ball in crunch time that when it comes to March, I don't know how good they're going to be, but there's still time, obviously, for them to grow in those roles. But I don't know if this is kind of the top-end Gonzaga team I we're agree. used to. Yeah, I agree with you. They're they're missing some of that. There's no Jalen Suggs. Absolutely. You know? that, and that's... That's huge. And they didn't win a national championship with him, but they were close. You know, they got, they got to that game and it's, it's the last thing for them to do, which is why point the finger back to drew Timmy. I know he can't, he can't control anything in the backcourt. You know, they, they're going to need some of those guys to grow and take steps. And like what we would discuss with any team, it's not necessarily about what you do in some of these big non-conference games, but you use them to your advantage to help you grow, cut your teeth a little bit. They can, they can be stepping stones. Even a program like Gonzaga, right, as established as they are, they can take some lumps. They can take some licks, right, because we're always going to criticize them for going into their West Coast Conference schedule and not playing at anybody. So they, for, more so for Gonzaga than anybody else, playing big competition now is really, really important for them, and they can learn a lot of lessons for what they have to do. And then they can pick up confidence the way they beat up everybody in the West Coast Conference so that they can be ready to do it again when the NCAA tournament rolls around. And they're 100% going to do it because they're, as you're, this recording's happened, this is the night before the aircraft carrier game between them and Michigan State. They've also got Texas on the road. That's a top 12 matchup. Uh, they'll face Kentucky, Baylor, Washington, and uh, NATO's team in Alabama. So they're going to get tested. I mean, Mark Few's really kind of stressed that because they know they're not going to get it as much in the WCC. So they're saying, you know what? Take your chances in the non-con. See what you've got with this team. And I think we're going to learn a little bit early of how well-tested this guard play is going to be. All right. So let me switch gears here. Do you have any early idea on what to expect from two new coaches taking over big, powerful brands? This, of course, was a... Major, major thing in college basketball. And it was handled two completely separate ways. There was the Coach K way. Yes. I'm going to have my victory tour. Everyone's going to play video tributes. And if North Carolina doesn't do it enough, then we're going to have some of our coaches snub the coaches on the other side. That was a bunch of BS, by the way. How they didn't think North Carolina did enough of a tribute so Nate James and some of the Duke assistants. I almost forgot that, but thank you for bringing that back up. Are just going to straight up snub Carolina coaches in the handshake line because Carolina pounded them at the at Cameron, right? It was at Cameron, they yes. They pounded them in the road game. And geez, like, so Kay did what he did to hand it off to John Shire. Then Jay Wright just sort of vanishes we just find out he's done in the offseason. He's that was it. Yeah, that no came out of Jay nowhere. Wright. That the came Buc- out of nowhere. The Buckeyes played Villanova, had a had a nice little fight with them. They wind up going to the final four, and then Kansas has their way with them, thank God. But totally different the way it was handled. You got John Shire at Duke, who was a player there, and Kyle Neptune taking over Villanova. A lot of people like what this guy is about, but it's an interesting hire when he's got just one year of head coaching experience under his belt, 16 and 16 at Fordham, two guys to take over big, powerful brands with not a lot of experience. Shire with none Neptune with one year as a head coach. Yeah. So Shire's an interesting one because I actually was listening to the Goodman and Hummel podcast. And it's a great, if you want to get insight from Robbie Hummel on the sport, it's really good. But he was telling stories about how he was playing back in Euro league 
overseas, and he was playing against Shire a ton. And I guess Shire at the time was doing really well in EuroLeague, but decided, you know, Coach K hit him up and wanted him to come back and be his personal assistant. So he just dropped basketball and went back, and everybody was kind of surprised by it. But now the more that he thought about it, this is kind of thing that's been in the plans for maybe several years now, not just within the past year or two. So I, I think this is a well-thought-out plan, and clearly recruiting-wise, Shire's doing – just as well as Kay was doing. And maybe that's just because of the momentum of the program. We'll see how that goes happens year after year. But getting Derek Whitehead and Derek Lively this year, two very key contributors, contributors once, they, once they get healthy for this Blue Devil team, they're going to be really, really fun to watch. And I'm curious to see how the program grows under him. Now with Neptune, it's going to be a little bit different. It's a different shape of a team. The top end of the talent on this team isn't as high as it's been in the past because – Justin Moore, who we saw tear his AC, or not his ACL, his Achilles in the tournament. He's probably not going to be out until the second half of the season at best. So they're relying on some more role player guys to step up. We'll see how that happens throughout the year. I know that they've got a freshman on Cam Whitmore, who was really good on the high school scene that's trying to get back from an injury to get his debut. Uh, but I think clearly it's going to be Shire that's going to have the better success early on. And I think the more of the questions center around what Villanova is going to be and how are they going to keep up with the recruiting there because it's a hotbed. You can get tons of talent in that Philly area that we've been talking about for years, but how consistent it's going to be. You could recruit the Duke brand very, yes, very well. That's what you, I mean, you have to do that. And you have you to. You have to do that because Coach K handed you this. It's 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 more along the lines of, you know, when we talk about Ohio State football and who's going to get this coaching gig right. after Ryan Day is done and when Ryan Day received it, you were getting the keys to the Ferrari. Now keep this thing oiled, keep this thing washed, and try to fine-tune it. Try to make it a little bit better. That's what your legacy is going to be. You're getting something that is already great. So it would be embarrassing if you screwed it up, but the challenge for you is to try to find little pieces in the program that you can enhance and make it even better. That's what's going to be the the true test. And that's I'll have to go back and listen to that, you know, those thoughts you're talking about, John Shire, because I I respected the hell out of him. You can just tell about a person, you know? And especially when they're in college. And that's when I was back there, I was covering John Shire as a player. And it also wasn't just him. You know, there were Andre Dawkins, I remember, was a young player that I I really, I really enjoyed. Um Paulson, um, who's coaching Niagara now. Paulus. Or Paulus, Greg, I'm sorry. Greg, Greg Paulus, Paulus, who spent time here at Ohio State, was another one of those dudes. Uh, Emil Jefferson, who's now one of the bench coaches for Shire. Yeah. He's also been yeah. a guy that yeah. Case talked up a lot. I liked Lance Thomas a lot uh, back there for those Duke teams in the late, uh, what do we call that decade? The O's <laughs> from 2000 to 2010. How do I refer to that decade? The O's? The 2000s? I think it's the 2000s. Call that the 2000s? Yes. That sounds like the whole century when I say the 2000s. And then the 2010s, from the 2000s into the 2010s, those teams, when they won the national championship in 2010. But Shire was just a, an awfully impressive young man. And anytime we get to do an interview with him, he just felt like he was smart beyond his years. And it's no surprise. You, like, you look around sports, people in management roles or organizations are doing things a little bit differently now. They're not just going with the guy that has 25, 30 years of coaching experience. They're they're okay rolling the dice and bringing in some fresh perspectives and some different things. Jeff Saturday taking over the Colts. So it, this will be interesting to watch both these teams. You know, they're they're both great programs. Obviously, I think with what Duke basketball is, you're, you're at an advantage over Villanova. 
So it's going to be a tougher job for Neptune. And I know Duke's got, you know, Jeremy Papa Roach back too. You have like a big, sturdy, strong point guard like that. That helps. That helps, right? That helps a lot. And but Nova's got some players too. Caleb Daniels and Eric Dixon were key parts of that Villanova team last year. Also Brandon Slater. But outside of that, um, there's not a whole lot of foundation b- behind those guys. I mean, those are the only three. Uh, there was another guy that had uh, double digits for them in their first game. Um, they do benefit from playing in the Big East. It's a, it's a conference that doesn't have the same recruiting uh, prowess as Nova does in terms of talking about the teams in that conference. Maybe like a, a UConn is kind of different in that aspect. Uh, but yeah, that's a good I, one. I, I that's think, a good one. I think they have some built-in advantages in their conference as a whole, but when it comes to the national game, I think they will have to show that they can still maintain. All right, quick pause here. I want you to hit hit the folks with a mid-major flavor for this week like we do, and I got to ask you about this song. So a zero-second break to all you guys, and we'll finish things up here. It's Mad About Hoops, episode 72, baby. I'm guessing because this is our bounce back music for this segment, you're going to want to ask me about it. So had a little thing this past week with the, I guess you can call this college basketball on Fox, but that just seems weird to say. This is round ball rock from John Tesh, and this is the NBA on NBC theme. Now, I did post a little social media thing of me playing the fake piano, and it was weird because, you know, I I can't get into a a college basketball-themed room. We don't have a college basketball-themed studio here. We have a Columbus Blue Jackets studio, and that's where a lot of the off-air work gets done. That's where we're actually doing this podcast. So we've got hockey in the background, but I just wanted to do it because it's a great basketball song nonetheless. But I wanted to tell the fine people, I do agree with those that say they have a hard time seeing this as a college basketball song. I'm 100% with you. But it also feels wrong to not ever be able to use it. I just, I wish that one of the networks that broadcasts the NBA would have purchased the rights to this. Instead, we're trying to force, you know, a square peg into a round hole and make it a college basketball song. Because we'll hear it a lot going into in and out of Big Ten with Fox using right. this. No, I kind of I kind of connect it more to the Big East because it seems like Big East kind of controls Fox and especially FS1. Seems all their games are on there and being a Butler fan, I, I hear it all the time. But I agree with you. I, I think at first you think of the NBA aspect, but I think it's been so ingrained in my head because of the Fox broadcast. It's almost like a, a Big East thing to me now. Yeah, I get it. I mean, it's a, it's a great song. And the YouTube clip of John Tesh telling the the audience how he wrote it and playing the answering machine clip is classic. It's it's just it's great. It's classic. So it's it's phenomenal. It's just not a college basketball song. That that's all. It's not. That's all. It's not. Even though it is. It it is, but it's not. This is the college basketball song and it always will be because CBS just has it locked down. I saw you had to make sure you got the old version in. Yeah. You know me. I know you it. You know me well. 
it's so funny because I, I also listen to the podcast every so often to catch up on the sport with, uh, I think it's Matt Norlander and Gary Parish. And when it comes to tournament time, they exclusively make that their intro music, and it's amazing. Well, yeah, because they've updated it on CBS. I don't even have the new one, but you have to have the guitar slide yes. for your CBS college basketball theme. It's that right there. You, 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 no guitar. Why would you get rid of the guitar slide? That's really all they got rid of. I, I don't understand it. It's just sort of like a smoother, softer, like the, the one that you would hear today. It's kind of smoother. I don't know how to describe it, but they took out the slide and they, they didn't need to do that. But that's the music. That's that's just it's it. It's perfect. It's college basketball. So why don't you hit the folks with a mid-major flavor before we're done here in episode 72? Yeah, I think the only way you can really go with this is you've got to... Unfortunately, this is a product of Louisville not being very good in the first or the start of the season for Kenny Payne in his first year as the head coach. He's feeling some pain, man. I would say they lost their first exhibition game against Lenore Ryan. I think that's a D2 school. Yeah, um, that, that, that no was not D1. very good. Uh, they almost lost to Chaminade, who we saw Ohio State just put a beating on in their ex- exhibition. And, then, oh, you know, you might as well just lose to the in-city team that's just almost brand new to Division One basketball in Bellarmine. If you remember them, they came in, I think, second or third in the Atlantic Sun last year. They were not eligible, right? They were not eligible the stupid rules. for the stupid. tournament because for some reason they want to keep teams from coming out of coming into Division One. So, like, it's a two- or three-year waiting period to be eligible for the tournament. But they just said, screw it. We'll win the A-Sun tournament anyway. So they made a mess of that last year. Well, they win 67-66 over Louisville. And I love the backstories behind this because if you don't know who the head coach of Bellarmine is, it is Scott Davenport, the longtime Louisville assistant. He was actually in the transition period when Rick Patino took over. Just beautiful. I believe in 2001 was the year that happened. But yes, he coached, Scotty, baby. He, he coached underneath Patino back at Louisville. He's from the city. He went to the school. This is a and he really wanted this job. This is why everybody just kind of turned their eyes to it and had the eyeball emojis because he pushed hard for this job, did not end up getting it, and just said, okay, well, I'll just beat you and take our money with it. The epitome of brutality. A the buy, buy game. The buy game. That's right. In an in-town one, too. Oh my God. That's tough, man. What but, you don't even have I'm trying to think of a of a what if Capital University came over and beat Ohio State? It would only be an exhibition game. It would only be an exhibition game. Right. Where's Lenore Ryan located? That's a great what's question. Their, what's the, what city is Lenore Ryan in? You got that uh, one? That's a uh, great... Hick, Hickory, North Carolina. So that's different. That's different. Now, but I, Bellerman, I could man, be wrong. And you know, I'm glad you bring up the coach because it's guys like that, man. And we've done we've done some of this on the podcast. I couldn't even begin to tell you which episode it was, but if you go back through our pages, we've tried to hit on some coaches, you know, that that don't get the ink because of the level where they're at. But Scott Davenport is a guy that's approaching 400 career wins, and he's got an impressive 750 win percentage in his career as a head coach. I don't care what level you're at. Winning is winning, CB. And he's won a lot of games. Yes. And he's won a national championship. So that's that's something. And he's been with Bellarmine to see this whole thing through, to see this transition. And uh, you, you mentioned in them winning that tournament last year, and it just brings all that hypocrisy and stupidity to the forefront where we're going to 
keep kids at a mid-major program from going to the NCAA tournament? What's, it's a joke. what's wrong with us? It's a us? joke, and I think it happened a few years back. Uh, I forget which conference Merrimack is in. I think it's. I think they're in with Bryant, maybe. But they, their first the NEC? year, yes, or yes, it is the NEC. But they had won the conference in their first year in Division One and couldn't even play in the tournament because they weren't going. So it's man, it's happened recently. But actually, to tie this all together, talking about that Lenore. Ryan victory in the exhibition game. Everick Sullivan is the head coach of that team, and he played for none other than Denny Crum at Louisville from 88 to 92. The great Denny Crum. So just making Louisville's year horrible, and I'll get ready. You're in the top part of the bracket at Maui this uh, in a couple of weeks. Good luck with that. <laughs> yeah, I guess there is one bad team in the Maui. As strong as a field it is, man. Louisville's a hell of a proud basketball name, but they are bad they look, right now. They look really bad, and I forget who they play first, but, I mean, you're up there with Texas Tech and Creighton. They play and, Arkansas. And Arkansas, yeah. who's got those great freshmen who uh, Nick Smith hasn't played yet, yep. but he's going to get a start, and he should be ready by Maui time. I mean, that's going to be just disastrous. I think they should go 0-3. Arkansas, by the way, we don't have time to get into them here, but they're they're going to have a really interesting team. Musselman brought in fun. a ton of new guys. But again, that's what college basketball is. It's not about what you leave. It's about what you instantly bring in. And you can make yourself a team if you do it the right way in just one year. And you, Holman's going to find that out between the freshmen yeah. and the transfers. He's going to find that out with his team. Yeah, the whole man at Ohio State is going to be doing that too. All right, my man. We are we are just getting the ball rolling. We'll have some exciting news in uh, some of the coming podcasts as well about uh, another cool thing that we're going to get to be doing throughout this basketball season. So stay tuned for that. And as always, go and check some of our previous podcasts for other topics and other evergreen things that we have hit on, some of the off-season stuff. Obviously, there's a big Maui preview where, you know, you heard CB mention Nick Smith, some of those dudes at Arkansas. And we'll probably get some updates if there's at, uh, any the Maui teams. I know, uh, again, we'll get into it at a, at a future point, but it sounds like Fardaz Amik, uh, Amik, Amik, I, I don't know how to pronounce his last name, but the big uh, forward for Texas Tech sounds like he might not be ready for Maui. So that could really change the direction of it. I think it's Amik. Amik. Okay. Yeah. I actually, I actually watched film on that to be sure. And then hearing you say it six different ways made me question it. <laughs> but we'll, we'll, well, get, you know what? we'll get that for the next we'll one. Fi- we'll find out yeah. from Paul Kios to, see, uh-huh. to find out what it yeah, is. Yeah, we, we sure will. All right, CB, have a great one. Everybody enjoy the college basketball. We'll see you next time on Mad About Hoops.